That's the beauty of business <laughs> as opposed to government fiat, right? I mean, business responds to consumer demands. Mm -hmm. And if government can set the stage with a set of regulations around climate change control, you know, whatever it looks like, and I think a price on carbon is a really functional response to yeah. that challenge, then the markets are going to adapt really, really quickly. There'll be a lot of Sturm und Drang for like, you know, six months, and a lot of corporations will sort of bellyache and yell and scream, but they'll adapt really quickly, and then they'll move on, right? Because that's what the markets do incredibly well. I mean, capitalism, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, to me, it's, it's the most efficient optimization mechanism on the planet. And right now, we're optimizing for one dimension, net operating profitability. And we have either tacitly or explicitly embraced that singular, singular dimension. But who's to say that capitalism can't optimize for more than one dimension? Nobody. It's a system that we invented. And so who can adjust it? us you are listening to the real leaders podcast where leaders keep it real i'm your host kevin edwards and that my friends was one of my favorite capitalists to have on the show matthew weatherly white the co-founder of caprock one of the largest investment advisory firms committed to impact investing in this episode we discuss the misconceptions of capitalism and how it can be updated to become more efficient. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Matthew Weatherly White. Enjoy. Live from Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, with Matthew Weatherly White, the managing director and co-founder of Caprock. Matthew, this interview is brought to us by Big Path Capital. But Matthew, I think the audience wants to know, what brings you to the most summit? What brings me to the most summit? I would say it's a, an interweaving of commitment and curiosity. Commitment to the field, impact investing, it's in my heart, it's in my bones, it's what I've been committing my professional career to for the last 15 years. And curiosity is a relatively new phenomenon. Momentum Summit's pretty new in this world, but it's the largest gathering of mission-driven CEOs in the world. So um, I'm in, I'm here to check it out. Why should people be curious about Impact Investing? Because the great challenges that we face, I mean, the great challenges that we face, climate change, social justice, access to essential services, the challenges are so great in scale that government policy is insufficient to the task. Philanthropic capital isn't large enough, and therefore the capital markets must be engaged. And in order for the capital markets to be engaged, they have to do impact investing. And for our viewers at home as well, you know, break it down on Philanthropic terms. What is what exactly is impact investing? Yeah, I think in its most in its most sort of accessible framework. Impact investing is really nothing more than thinking about committing your capital to an enterprise that measures more than just financial profits to determine its success. So a company that might evaluate its environmental footprint or the way that it shares its wealth in a community and business that takes into account stakeholders beyond just the shareholders. Like that basic idea that shareholder value or profits distributed to the owners of the business is not necessarily the only thing that a business should be concerned with. Like that's in its essence, that's impact investing. Mm, okay, so am I hearing this right that the more profit a company makes, the more impact 
thing. Is that a fair assumption? Or is that... It's not axiomatic. Okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, I just had a, a little bit of a tweet storm earlier today on this exact issue because I was in a panel um, where I realized that every company, in order to be sustainable and have impact, must be profitable, right? If a company's not profitable, it doesn't last. And if it doesn't last, then it has, let's say, limited impact. Um, but I think how a company shares its profits might be a better way of evaluating the depth of its social mission slash impact than how profitable it is. You can have a very small company that has enormous impact, despite the fact that it might not have a lot of profits. Conversely, you can have a company that's enormously profitable that kind of doesn't really give um, much of a thought to issues beyond profits, and so it might have very little impact. If you could redesign some of the principles of business. Yeah. Obviously, the situation was different for a lot, but what are some of the the values and principles that you would insert in your business? Oh man, that's such a great question. So, so practically, um, you know, we are a founding B Corp, uh, Caprock is, and we have been nominated. We're honored as best for the world in a bunch of different categories over the years. So I think, I think operationally, we have already internalized a lot of those sort of best practices and they relate to you know, employees and community and the environment and the products that we, you know, the products that we, that we sell. Um, but I think that your question is almost more existential, right? And I think the, um, if I could wave my magic wand and like re-engineer how businesses operate, it would be to incorporate in their in its DNA how a business relates to a set of stakeholders beyond purely the owners of the business, be it public publicly owned or privately owned. Okay, I like that. See, the, the thing I struggle with is everyone comes in and they say, hey, oh, it's, this is good business, this is good business. I, I feel like all business is somewhat good. It's all, you know, it's providing jobs, it's doing something, but what yeah. would you consider a bad business or a dirty business you are touching on um, <laughs> yeah and I think I think appropriately right because I think that a business that creates jobs is a good business right right but it's also true that not all jobs are created equal absolutely and I think that's where the conversation gets really interesting right I mean for example um, Hypothetically, two hamburger joints in the same town, they both have the same revenues, they both have the same profit margin, they both employ the, employ the same number of people, right? Hamburger chain one is owned by a man who believes that as the owner of the business, to him should accrue all of the profits. The other guy says, you know, there's a lot of people here working I'm gonna to try to create a little bit of wealth among my employee base as well. Now, he's intentionally sacrificing some of his own profitability, you know, the, the share of the profits that would flow to him, right? Now, the business itself might have the same net operating profitability. So from a business perspective, they're the same. Mm -hmm. But how those profits are distributed among the stakeholders would determine, in this example, the depth of the social mission or the social enterprise. And I think that's a question that none of us have an answer to. I mean, we're all really struggling with that. And I think, you know, if you look back pre-1980, um, you know, wealth creation and wealth, uh, wealth distribution in the society roughly paralleled growth in GDP. So you didn't have this like um, accelerating gap between the very, very, very top earners and wealth creators in society and the working class people in our country. But since 1980 and the shift in the tone around 
around how capital should move through society and how we think about the role of capitalism and you know ownership versus labor and all those conversations it just started to go in one way um, and I think that, that, that's the part that's being brought into question right now. That's the, the facet of capitalism, the current iteration of capitalism that's just being questioned. Interesting, interesting. But Matthew, I thought that uh, all businesses are here to maximize uh, shareholder value. That's what Milton Friedman said. Right, so um, wouldn't you consider all these corporations to be good businesses then? So I think the quote was that the social purpose of every business is to increase shareholder profits. I think that was the question because people were asking Milton Freeman effectively, you know, should there be an agenda beyond profitability for a company? Should, should companies consider social mission? And he said no. The highest social purpose of a company is to be more profitable. Um, and yeah, do I do I like intrinsically disagree with that? Yes, I do, because to me that's one dimensional. Um, but I, but I also, yeah, we forget. Right. We forget that capitalism is evolutionary, right? I and mean, we forget that Milton Friedman made this statement in the middle of a flow of evolution of capitalism. You know, going back to Adam Smith, you know, Adam Smith was writing about the wealth of nations at a time when colonialism was considered to be per perfectly acceptable. Mm -hmm. In the in, in his lifetime, slavery was um, a linchpin in the global supply chain. In his lifetime, child labor, post his lifetime in Victorian England, you know, child labor was considered a critical way to hold down your unit labor costs. Right. And every one of those practices have become unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to recognize that every one of those practices, and this is, I'm gonna say this really carefully because yeah. it's gonna heat people up, but every one of those practices actually made economic sense. Yeah. Right? But at some point they became socially unacceptable. You know, the social mores, um, leaned against them and then they became illegal and the capital markets accepted that adapted evolved and moved on mm -hmm. and so i think that to say that in any way capitalism is a static system and that milton friedman's dictum will hold true forever is sort of to ignore the essential beauty the almost miraculous beauty of capitalism which is that it is it is an evolutionary animal Right. And I think what's happening right now is you're starting to see those evolutionary forces coming to bear on a system which is designed to evolve. Right? I mean, capitalism is designed to reflect things like changes in government policy and a regulatory environment and shifting consumer demands and an aging population or whatever and adjust and adapt and optimize for whatever the new conditions are and move on. I just think what we're seeing is, um, you know, particularly as the science around climate change sort of crystallizes um, an increasing indefensibility of the acceptance of capital, the, the willing acceptance of capitalism um, to ignore those negative externalities associated with the current iteration of capitalism, right? Because we don't know what it's going to look like. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of triggered a little bit by your question because it's such a great one. Um, but I feel like I've kind of taken this off, well, off thread. I, well, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, when you started with the burger joint. And you have one owner that wants the product for himself, and you have the other owner that wants the product for the, sure. the company. And I think what people forget are, what, what is a corporation, what is a company? And it's a group of people. It's a group of people. And so if you were talking about um, you know, shorting the costs of labor uh, and going, you know, cutting corners and, and you know, not working with your people, not having that value shared 
in your supply chain, that might be a greedy business. That might be a bad business. Yeah. And what you're saying is it's evolving um, to the state where now today we still do have some corporations that are using these unethical practices. Um, and this might be looked at bad business in years to come and maybe right now even. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm always a little bit hesitant to use words like good and bad yeah, and evil and malicious. Yeah, it's 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 because like it. because it implies a moral architecture on a system which is intrinsically amoral. And by amoral, I don't mean evil. I mean just simply without morality. You know, capitalism is neither evil nor good intrinsically. Capitalism is just simply an optimization mechanism. That's all it is. It's, it's an operating system. And the operating system, you know, we all know with our phones, you got to periodically update your operating system. And I think right now capitalism is in the midst of an operating system upgrade. And I have this discussion with my friends a lot. I have friends on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, as do I. Absolutely. And everyone does, right? Uh, so, oh, I'm not a, sure everybody a, does, Yeah, but it would be right. great if everybody I mean, did. I mean, not anyone has friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because then we'd be having a That's conversation right. rather than just people, you know, balkanized positions yelling past each other about what it should look like. Right, right. Sorry, well, I interrupted. Well, there's, there's this new, and I think it's um, comes from a great heart, but there's a new movement with my friends that they they want to just switch to this socialism. They want to switch to this idea of socialism. Yeah, yeah. And I keep trying to tell them, no, 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 no. Capitalism can work, and it is working. And I work in this space, and I get to interview cool people like you who are, who are addressing these issues and, and putting money to these companies that are doing yeah, all yeah. they're good. And it's, it's really incredible stuff, guys. But no, they just it just won't register in their heads because of this crony capitalism, because they grew up in an era where Enron was there and Wall Street collapsed and sure. parents lost money. My mom even lost her own job. So it's that's how this generation thinks. What would you say to my friend who wants to be a socialist? I would say that at its very core, capitalism is about increasing the size of the pie. And socialism is about making sure that the pie is shared equally. Socialism is less interested in increasing the size of the pie. And I think, again, very broadly, if you grouped all the countries together that are focused on growing the size of the pie, and all the countries that are interested in sharing the pie equally, as a group, we would be more inclined to live in the first group than the second group. There are exceptions to that, for sure. But as a group, that's where I would go. You know, Churchill, I think, said it best, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right. But um, he said that the intrinsic evil of capitalism is that it shares benefits unequally. And the intrinsic benefit of socialism is that it shares misery equally. Equally, yeah. And somewhere in the middle there is actually where this all needs to land. And I'm not going to say I have the answers. In fact, I think we are all figuring this out. If anybody comes to this conversation and says, I have the answers, I know what needs to happen today, I'd say they're either selling something, mm-hmm. a book, right. a political campaign, a, c- a company that's trying to sell advice, or they're just sort of charlatans, right? Because I don't think we really know the answer. I think, you know, my, my bias, I'm a capitalist, my bias is clearly towards this idea that business can offer solutions using the power of business and the power of the capital markets and the market-driven economy to identify and fund and scale solutions to the great problems. Like, that's my bias. Um, and somebody else could have a totally different bias, right? But I think it's it's somewhere in the middle. They're like, I don't, I don't want to live in a strictly socialist economy, despite the fact that I think right now that that un- 
equal sharing of benefits has just simply gotten out, it's gotten out of control. Right. I mean, it's, I don't think anybody in this country would um, argue against a CEO being paid 10 or 12 or 15 times more than the lowest paid person in the company. And that, that, I don't think that would be seen as wildly excessive, but 300, 500, a thousand times more. You know, at some point it becomes really dispiriting. And I think that's what's happened with your friends and the rise of the millennial socialist, right? They're just saying, look, this is just kind of bullshit, right? I'm working my ass off, full-time job. I can't afford rent, mm-hmm. you know? Where is the benefit in the system for somebody like me? And right now, I think that the playing field is just not, it's not level. And I think that's what people are responding to. And I think it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Understandable entirely. But unfortunate that capitalism is getting the blame because capitalism is just a system, right? And the current iteration of the system, as we're seeing it, you know, it's just, it's dispiriting. Right. Yeah. Well, what you, you, you said earlier, 15 years you've been in this space. Yeah. What's changed? What, well, what's different from 15 years ago to now about uh, the private sector's role in uh, curing societal or environmental problems? Yeah, so first I'd say it was the professionalization of the discipline. You know, 15 years ago, mostly actors, I think were sort of mostly activists who were wrapping themselves in the cloak of capitalists because they realized that in order to affect the change that they wanted to see, they needed money. And where's all the money? Well, it's, it's in capitalism, it's in, it's in the capital markets. Um, but that's really changed. You see some really professional investors, you know, like Ray Dalio just released um, a two-part report basically saying capitalism needs to evolve. You know, Ray Dalio, founder and chairman of, of Bridgewater, one of, one of the most successful investors of our lifetime, right? And he's basically saying, yeah, capitalism needs to evolve. It's not working right. Howard Marks, founder of Oak Tree Capital, he writes these, these, these letters to investors that are like legendary for how insightful they are. His most recent one, capitalism needs to evolve. Like when you hear people like that talking about it, clearly the discipline is, is professionalizing and more people are paying attention. One, two, I think the idea of impact investing is gaining more and more credence in the, in the, in the corners of the world where the really, really big pools of capital are being managed. I mean, five years ago, I went and talked at Euromoney, which is um, an annual conference targeting mostly pension funds and sovereign wealth funds. And I was shunted off down a long, dark corridor in a breakout session. And let's just say it was thinly attended and move on. Um, And then I was there last year and they gave me the keynote address. Talk about impact investing. Right, to me, that's like that, I cannot overstate how different that is. And that's only five years, right? And then I think third is this confluence of tailwinds, um, both anchored to the wealth transfer that we are um, experiencing right now, right? There's an estimated 46 trillion, give or take, of money that's being transferred from primarily sort of aging white men to their widows and children. And when you look at who's driving impact investing, it's women and millennials. And I'm not saying that all that money is going to go there and suddenly it's just going to become a whole new world, but there's no doubt that women and millennials are biasing their preference towards mission-driven companies and investing with some kind of sense of responsibility, sustainability, conscious, whatever, right? Yeah, we see that too, actually. Like 55% of our subscribers are females. <sighs> see, right there. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's that, it's that incremental shifting that I think will result in a, a um, re-engineering of the plumbing 
in capitalism. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, we're, we're also signatory to the United Nations right here. So right on. 17 goals, that great. So there, there is a blueprint uh, where, you know, we're trying to get some of these businesses to follow them. But really, Matthew, what do you think it's going to take or what needs to change in order for these goals uh, to be fulfilled? Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of behavioral economics. And um, I think cognitive biases run deep. Um, they're broadly invisible and you don't even sometimes see them until something has changed. And I think that the cognitive bias has been, you know, and you sort of referenced it earlier that, you know, the business of business is business. And let's not challenge that. But as soon as you start as soon as you start challenging it and you start looking at the solutions that business can provide, then that fundamental the fundamental assumption starts to break down pretty quickly. Now, pretty quickly within the, you know, the time frame of the capital markets. 10 years, 15 years. I mean, I just said, you know, over the last five years, there's been a, a tectonic shift, whether or not we are going to see the subsequent tsunami that results from that sub-oceanic earthquake. Um, yeah, that remains to be seen. Scary. Yeah. Scary time. And, and the more you read into it, the more you interview people, uh, you realize there, there really isn't that much time left. I mean, I, yeah. I hope that, you know, my grandchildren's grandchildren will be alive to see this interview. Um, <laughs> I think we'll be. Which yeah. is a fair question. It's a really, yeah, it's a really fair question, and I, I, I'm not one of those, you know, sort of profound pessimists who, um, who believes that you know the end is nigh, and yet I also recognize that you know in in my lifetime there has been a you know a, an observable shift in the functioning of the natural world. Like observable, and, you know. I, I'm, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not even going to pretend to be. Um, but it seems self-evident to me that our natural world is changing in front of us. Yeah, I feel like people, including myself, are just really complacent and just uh, you know we see things going on. I like to tell people, you know, we're living in a bubble, not under a rock, but we're in a yeah, bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See out, but it doesn't really affect us, so we're not really going to do anything. So that's why I think it's so important that you know businesses step up, and when you know you and you know, normal people every day aren't really going to make those changes unless you know you go pretty extreme and. Like my stepdad goes vegan and does all the things and changes, but I know I'm never getting my burger because I love it in and out. Totally, and and and, 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 and I and I would say that while I'm, while I'm sure you sort of examine those choices yourself, you know, part of this community is hard not to. It's hard not to. It, it, it's important not to judge yourself because we are simply a reflection of human nature. That's what we all are, right? You know, people don't people want to have air conditioning. They want to have air conditioning. They want to have a car. They want to be able to um, take control of their own mobility, like whatever the phrase is around that. And I think that's the beauty of business <laughs> as opposed to government fiat, right? I mean, business responds to consumer demands. Mm -hmm. And if government can set the stage with a set of regulations around climate change control, you know, whatever it looks like, and I think a price on carbon is a really functional response to yeah. that challenge, then the markets are going to adapt really, really quickly. There'll be a lot of Sturm und Drang for like, you know, six months, and a lot of corporations will sort of bellyache and yell and scream, but they'll adapt really quickly, and then they'll move on, right? Because that's what the markets do incredibly well. I mean, capitalism, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, to me, it's, it's the most efficient optimization mechanism on the planet. And right now, we're optimizing for one dimension, net operating profitability. And we have either tacitly or explicitly embraced that singular, singular dimension. But who's to say that capitalism can't optimize for more than one dimension? Nobody. 
It's a system that we invented. And so who can adjust it? Us. Why not optimize for climate resiliency? Why not optimize for gender inclusion? And that's not to say government has to come in and step in and mandate all this, or it's not to say, you know, there has to be 50-50 parity, blah, blah, blah. but you know, I don't, I don't get, I don't buy the argument that says that capitalism as a system is incapable of internalizing all the negative externalities that are associated with its current operating system. I simply don't buy it. Mm. And I think we need to test that because if it can, then these problems go away. And I don't mean they just sort of magically go away. They go away through, you know, hard work and innovation and commitment and passion and money being made and money being lost. Companies disappearing, companies being disrupted out of existence, companies growing to be the next multi-billion dollar company, right? That's the, dy the, dyna the dynamism that's intrinsic to capitalism and that's where the solutions all come from. And that's the difference between capitalism and socialism. Spot on. On that point. Spot on. I love that. Matthew, thanks for coming on the Real Leaders Lab today. I enjoyed the conversation. So did I, man. I love inside experience uh, from the capital world. Um, and, and lastly, you know, you, you've done a lot. Uh, what would you say your definition of a real leader is? Um, to create a space where people who might be afraid of the change necessary to affect system change, you know, the to, who might be afraid of the incremental changes necessary to affect system change, can step into can step into that quiet, safe place and take that risk. Like, I think that is really hard to do, right? And I, I purely personally, you know, we've, I've got, um, you know, five founding partners of my business and we exist, you know, we operate on, a, on a, a range of sort of political, spiritual, economic viewpoints. I'm clearly on one end of it and some of my other partners are, are over here. And yet over the course of the last 15 years, we have been able to find like genuine common ground mm -hmm. to orient a lot of the operations of our company around becoming a really high-functioning B Corp and investing in impact businesses and understanding what it means to create durable, measurable, non-financial value in the businesses that we run. And I'm telling you, 15 years ago, that was not part of the conversation. And that's why I find so interesting. <laughs> I think it's awesome. We're living in now. All right, folks, well, thanks for tuning in to Real Leaders Live here in Nashville, North Carolina at the Mo Summit with Matthew Weatherly-White. Um, Matthew, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, folks, go out there, be a real leader, step into a new space, and take that risk. All right, everybody. Take care, and we'll see you next time on Real Leaders Live. Thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Matthew Weatherly White. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Folks, interesting time right now and conversations beginning to catalyze with this new movement of how capitalism can be updated. It's been an ongoing discussion, but uh, for instance, you see John Mackey going on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day. The conversation is continuing, and it's very important that we continue to collect all sides of the discussion. So if you want to hear more and you think this is interesting, I would highly encourage you to go to episode 49 where Matthew and I did a follow-up conversation from this one. It's the longest episode we've done here on the Relators Podcast. And it dives into more of the details about the history of capitalism and how Matthew sees it evolving in the future. So with that being said, folks, just want to thank you for being a Relator and stay tuned 
the next episode.